Hello, everybody, and welcome to this, the latest edition of the Castle Bridge podcast, where we want you to talk data to me. Um, today, it's just myself and Catherine. Uh, everyone else is off doing stuff, fixing the world in various ways. But there's been a lot happening in data land over the past couple of weeks. And uh, we thought it'd be worth doing a recap, but not in the way other people do recaps, because that's boring. And one thing I hate is a bandwagon. So yes, we will be talking about Shrems 2 later on. But before we start talking about Shrems 2, it's worth putting some context and laying some some groundwork to help us understand what actually is going on. Yeah, so instead what we're looking at is data governance, our bread and butter. I suppose the first question to ask, Catherine, is what is data governance when it's at home? That's a fun question because if you ask uh, any data governance professional what data governance is, you're likely to get more than one definition. So uh, one of the definitions we like to use in Castle Bridge is looking at uh, the W questions for who can do what with what data, in what circumstances, uh, and you know, in, in what situations. Uh, so uh, looking at all those double W questions, looking at a system to make sure that we know those W questions. Yeah, and, and that, that's... The, the classic joke, and the, you, you refer to it as the princess bride effect, but it's one of the classic problems with data management in general is is the lack of, often the lack of coherent definitions of things, but that, that's why I like falling back on uh, the definition of data governance from the Data Governance Institute, good friend Gwen Thomas, uh, she came up with this definition with uh, Bob Siner and John Ladley about 20 years ago. And data governance is the system of decision rights, responsibilities, and accountabilities about who can do what, with what information, when, under what circumstances. Gwen has in the past described uh, data governance as being about how you define the rules of how to decide when to decide uh, so that you are your framework is in place for making key decisions. And part of that governance framework that organizations need to put in place for data is having the the pathway to escalate questions around procedure and around decision-making rules, rights, responsi responsibilities, and authority. And I think that is something that organizations often lack when we're looking at data. Um, and one of the key things is you don't have to be a big business to require data governance because it does impact on your strategy and how you execute it as an organization and we're dealing with this ourselves internally Catherine around our education products and the governance of data and definition of data in as we build out our, our education business that right we're having a lot of fun with that <laughs> yeah we, we do have to eat our own dog food here we are making sure that we have clear understandings of what it is we're building uh who can do what what that means and uh how we're describing the things that we are building and you know, making sure that we can actually find what we need to find so you can find what you need to find exactly and, and, and there are moments though when it is very much father ted euro song territory uh with dougal and ted rehearsing and i'll, I'll put a link up to a, a video of that uh, so people get the reference who aren't necessarily familiar with father ted and again another example of data governance in action using terminology or concepts that people mightn't be immediately familiar with it's important from a business data glossary perspective that you explain those things. 
In terms of data strategy and, uh, and the role of governance in, in a data strategy context, Peter and I have talked about this on previous podcasts, Catherine, but it'd be worth getting your take from your, your work and involvement uh, with clients. Um, how important is it for there to be clarity on the decision-making roles and responsibilities? Uh, incredibly important. Uh, one of the things that we do tend to see quite a bit is uh, there are lots of small decisions made that affect much larger decisions, but if there isn't clarity on the greater you know, strategy that we all need to have and who should be making those decisions, things get missed. Uh, we all go running off into different directions. We might have the same initiative happening in multiple places in the same organization, all doing things differently. Uh, so getting on the same page as to what we want to do and who's allowed to do what is really important. Yeah, and, and that goes back to the fundamentals of, of strategy and execution, ultimately. Um, if you don't have good governance over the things you're doing in the organization and data and information aren't key assets you'll have, particularly in the, as organizations move to more online ways of working and as we start implementing new technologies and new ways of doing things in organizations, the data becomes a critical component there. If you haven't got clarity on what it is you were trying to do as an organization, and if you then haven't got clarity on the decision roles, rights and responsibilities around the information related processes, not just the information, but the processes around information, that's going to be a barrier to you executing on your strategy. And we've got a case study on the website about uh, a couple of case studies on the website now actually around uh, data strategy definition, all of which have a data governance component and data definition component to them. Um, Data governance and data protection, Catherine, why? Well, you need clear governance around who's allowed to do what with what data in order to actually have data protection. Uh, that's uh, When it comes to GDPR, a very large amount of what the regulation is about is ensuring that there is proper governance around the rules so people not only know what they're supposed to do with data, but who is allowed to make what decisions and have what access to what data, what's allowed to be done with that data, under which circumstances. So it's all governance uh, and quality. What you're saying, Catherine, then sounds very much to me like in order to implement and execute your, your obligations under data protection law, you need to ensure you have appropriate organizational and technical controls in place that are clearly defined, identifying who can make what decisions when with in relation to personal data and data that could be personal data, and that there is some form of structure in place that ensures accountability for those decisions and actions. Is that what you're getting at there? That would be just about exactly it. That's just crazy talk. Who's doing that? But no, <laughs> that is exactly what you have to do. And that's why in our infamous and much ripped off one slide summary of GDPR that we've been using since the dawn of time, um, we, we highlight the importance of, of governance in terms of the role of the data protection officer, or equally, if you don't have a data protection officer, documenting why you don't have a data protection officer and keeping that under review, which again is a decision-making process around roles, responsibilities, and accountabilities for information-related processes. And all the other things you need to do around DPIAs, privacy by design, all of those things you, want, you need to be putting in place, that is all at the heart of it, a management system and a governance system that needs to be put in place. Which kind of brings us to the wonderful world of SHREMS 2, uh, the in shrems because um, all sequels need to have something like that. Die Hard 2 was Die Harder. Um, this is SHREMS 2, the in shrems -ing. 
Um, I think this is a really good example of governance in action. And it's a really good example of a regulator taking steps to ensure clarity on decision rights, roles and responsibilities, and also the fundamental tests that need to be applied to that decision making. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that everyone is talking about is the data transfers aspect to the U.S. uh, when it comes to the end result of the decisions that the regulator has to make. A lot of what the uh, actual European Courts of Justice ruling does is answer questions around governance, who has what decision making rights under what circumstances about data transfers to the U.S. or other countries. So uh, everyone's, of course, interested in how this will affect them personally. But ultimately, this is a uh, ruling about procedure and governance. And that's a key thing. Like that, That's something I pointed out last year in a blog post on the Castlebridge website, um, where I went through all of the questions. And I, I, I broke out some of the questions because there were, there were a couple of questions nested together. But every single question that was raised from the Irish High Court to the European Court of Justice in this case was around defining the fundamental tests and defining the scope of authority of a national supervisory authority and of the European Commission and of the European Court of Justice when looking at things like cross-border data transfers and standard contractual clauses and privacy shield. So basically we have a set of questions regarding who has the authority to make what decision about data transfers, under which circumstances, and what rules are in place to ensure consistent decision making. We have a ruling from the European Court of Justice that clarifies how to decide, when to decide, and who can decide, which is significant. And one of the key things from the European Court of Justice is it reiterates the importance of the data controller in the process. Uh, particularly in the context of standard contractual clauses. This isn't isn't simply a question for the regulators. This is something that individual data controllers have a responsibility for from a decision-making process point of view in terms of who their suppliers are, where their data goes, and what is the basis they are going to rely on to justify transfers of data to different jurisdictions. And that's one of the, the key things that we need to be looking at. In our, in our book, Catherine, we have our framework on for information management and information strategy based off the Amsterdam model. And we have the stakeholder segment in that, the information and process outcome. One of the thing that, things that's annoying me slightly over some of the recent commentary around the Schrems 2 decision is that everyone's focusing on the information and process outcome piece. No one's looking at how the sausage got made. Well, the sausage is a, the recipe for the sausage is a really important recipe. And that recipe is exactly what the decision is. It's, it's looking at making sure there are very clear decision flows and that we know at what stage those decisions can be made and who can do them. Uh, it makes very clear what where the accountability is. And uh, for controllers, that accountability is doing due diligence so that you're not using standard contract clauses of fig leaf. Uh, you know, it's basically saying you can't just do a tick box exercise and pretend that these contract clauses will do something that contracts can't do. So it is interesting. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that we can no longer simply slap some lipstick on a pig and make it queen of the fair. 
We actually have yeah. to do some due diligence there. I think that's one of the key things is, is in all of the, this, the, the big fallout from this is, is the clarity uh, that the European Commission is answerable to the European Court of Justice and the European Court of Justice has reiterated the key tests that need to be followed for making determinations on things like adequacy frameworks and also the question of standard contractual clauses and the role of individuals, individual data controllers and the supervisory authorities. And that is to be welcomed. It's it's not a surprise though. It's not at all a surprise. Uh, it is very interesting to see how clear the Irish Data Protection Commission has been in saying, thank you, we really wanted this clarity. And again, this is something that the DPC appears to have been very, metho- very, very methodic about uh, in going to the European Courts of Justice to ask for clarity and then welcoming that clarity when it is uh, delivered. So uh, it looks like it's been a very strategic uh you know, marathon running strategy rather than a big grandstanding sprint. Governance isn't glamorous. And for, for this is something I've struggled with over the past 20 odd years doing data governance and data quality and data strategy stuff. The sexy, shiny stuff is always the new technology, the new toys, the new stuff that uh, the IT department or the marketing department or the strategic digital, digital transformation department want to bring into an organization. But the actual stuff that's really important to making everything work is the governance piece. And one of our our projects over the last quarter was with a large organization that was looking to implement uh, an artificial intelligence solution uh, to help speed up some of their processes and and, and speed up their their route to market uh, in their particular industry. But we had to highlight to them that their underlying data was not fit for purpose. And one of the reasons for that was a an ad hoc approach to governance because go, you always have governance in organizations just to, to, to raise a flag on this one Catherine and Bob Siner and John Ladley would nail me to a tree if I didn't clarify this every organization has data governance the only difference is some organizations have written stuff down and formalized it um, and what this organization had was a lot of acceptance of workarounds and fudges in its data because that was okay in a largely manual offline world, but they were looking to move more and more into a digitally enhanced and digitally enabled world with artificial intelligence, da, 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 underpinning everything. I think we can also tie this back to Deming because the uh, governance that everybody has that isn't written down is largely best efforts as opposed to clearly systematized so people know that we're being consistent best practice. Well, hang on a second, Catherine. We've gone from data governance to Schrems to W. Edwards Deming in one podcast. People will be think we're going crazy, but we are. And you're absolutely right. Deming's famous quote about best efforts. Best efforts, best efforts. Imagine the chaos that would reign if everyone simply went and did their best. And what governance is about is trying to rein that in. And this is something that I've been saying for a long time in relation to supervisory authorities. And the occasionally unfair criticism that the Irish Data Protection Commission has received. There is nothing stopping regulators who want things done faster, doing things faster. Apart from the fact that when a regulator makes decisions in an enforcement context, 
without paying due respect and consideration to the legal and regulatory governance environment they operate within. And, and when they don't do that, that's when we run into problems. That's where the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK undermined their own investigation into Facebook and ended up having to settle with Facebook last October for half a million pounds, half a million pounds sterling, and Facebook got to take back all the evidence. We are going to see something similar with their enforcement actions into BA and Marriott, which I've had a, a number of interesting conversations on LinkedIn recently with data protection professionals who want to count the ICO's fines of BA and Marriott as fines. They are not. They are notices of an intention to fine as part of an enforcement process, which means from a governance perspective, they are not a fine. And when the process finally moves through that sausage machine, and the sausage machine has been kicked further and further down the road over the past few months, I'm pretty much of the view that the big fines that the ICO was trumpeting for BA and Marriott simply will not happen. And it'll be a very quiet press release, probably issued on a Friday, probably just before a bank holiday or a large sporting event to bury that news. But this is why so, it's really important that regulators take their time to do it right and work within the governance rules. Do you want headlines or do you want effective action? Uh, thankfully, it looks like with the clarity in procedure that SHREMS 2 gives regulators, there is a good framework for taking effective action when it comes to cross-border data transfers. But that's something we need to look at for regulators in general. We need to see clear following of due process and procedure so that the decisions that are made are uh, enforceable and will stand up to challenge. Otherwise, you don't have effective action. We can take that as well in general businesses that aren't regulators and uh, see that there is good value in having clear process that people understand so that uh, when there are issues, people know what decisions should be made and how they can be made. And when there are complaints, you can stand over what you've done. Exactly. It's also the Irish mammy situation, Catherine. And the key thing with an Irish mammy is an Irish mammy will tell you these are the rules. This is the parameters under which you, wherein we are acting. When you step outside those parameters, then, act, then an enforcement action will inevitably take place. You mightn't see it coming. You mightn't realize it's happening. But once it hits you, you'll know you have been regulated by your Irish mammy. What's your take on that, Catherine? Um, that definitely seems to be the case. Um, although I would question whether all Irish mammies are actually very clear in setting out those parameters. But at least what we have with SHREMS 2 is clear parameters being set out. Exactly. And that's the thing. An effective Irish mammy sets out clear parameters and you know the parameters you're operating within, or at least you can infer them from past behavior and past action and bodies of, a body of precedent for the decision-making process. And of course, one of the other aspects of that I've seen coming out uh, over the past couple of days in terms of the commentary around Schrems too is questions about whether the DPC is taking it seriously. We're back to Irish idiom here, and Catherine, this is where your yes. your, your, your literary studies um, probably come to the fore in terms of helping to explain to people what hap what happens when the Irish seem to be understating something. 
Yeah, it's not just the literary studies. It's also being an immigrant and trying to navigate a completely different cultural idiom to the one that I grew up in. But uh, what I described this to uh, to Dara in conversation earlier was uh, the difference between uh, a Irish publican or uh, you know, bartender uh, saying, uh, have you no homes to go to at the end of the night? Uh, now, this is very much an Irish idiom for we are closing now, get out. Uh, it's, it may sound a little bit soft, but there's no question what the publican is actually saying. They're not asking about your housing status. They are telling you we're closed now, leave. Uh, so I think what a, lo a lot of what we see in international discussion of the Irish regulators' statements is not necessarily understanding the uh, perennial cultural idiom of uh, understating certain things, particularly when there is uh, you know, something very heavy uh, stated behind it, for instance, calling World War II the emergency or a 30-year-long civil war the troubles. Uh, you know, w yeah. When the Irish regulator says that uh, there are questions regarding the legitimacy of something, uh, they are stating in a very Irish idiom that uh, you're going to have to stop this now. Ultimately, the way I'd summarize it, Catherine, is that if an Irish polit political leader came out and said that COVID-19 was just the sniffles, we would all be expecting to die tomorrow. Uh, as a nation, we pride ourselves on our understatement. So when the DPC comes out with their their, their statement, uh, what the statement of the DPC talking about this being a significant decision and this being something they were going to consider and look at, and that there was there was there was obviously questions. That's not fudging. That's sending up a very large signal flare that things are going to happen soon. But they're doing it in a way that isn't prejudging the formal process. It is not the regulator coming out and making a definitive declarative statement or a decision, because until the DPC has gone through the governance function of the investigation process, until they have made a draft decision and brought that to the European, European Data Protection Board for input and comment by other supervisory authorities, the final decision of the Irish DPC won't have will not have landed. And if they don't follow that procedure, their decision is ultimately open to challenge potentially on pure procedural grounds. And nobody wants to lose on a technicality. And that's always the risk with any rushed process. But anyone who, who, who listened, like, as someone who grew up with an Irish mammy, and as someone who has grown up with the understatement, the statement from the DPC is actually incredibly powerful from an Irish perspective. Now, this is where, yeah, this is where learning to, uh, again, understand the language, making sure that we have a common language, getting back to that governance question that we had earlier, that we're all understanding you're using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. No, it actually means that. Making sure that we do understand what's being said when certain words are used is very important. Yeah, that that's the key thing. It's, it's also worth bearing in mind that in Ireland, that understatement thing is is deeply ingrained. And I, I saw someone recently on, on Twitter talking about the Schrems 2 decision being like Bloomsday for data protection people that we'd all get together um, every year on its anniversary to, to, to go to, to read choice passages from the judgment. Yeah, I agree with that person because uh, most of the people who'd be getting together on the anniversary of the judgment won't have actually read it. And half of those who have read it won't actually understand it. Um, yep. <laughs> So, 
Bloomsday, really bad example when you're dealing with an Irish regulator. Actually, unfortunately, very accurate most of the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, Catherine, your, your, your PhD in language literature is showing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault nobody's read it. <laughs> Yes. But frankly, most people won't have read it fully. They'll have control f to what they think the important decision is rather than looking for the governance. And that brings us to another final closing point on this, uh, control F and governance and the Irish Data Protection Act. Um, I just want to close on this point. One of the problems with legislation, particularly when you were trying to drill through it and trying to understand it and trying to answer questions in a hurry, and when you're reading a judgment or when you're reading guidance from a regulator or reading legislation is the control F problem, which is the, the technical implementation of that word. I do not. You keep using it. I do not think it means what you think it means. In a data governance structure, what you need to have clarity on is the meaning of things and the role of the actors and understanding in a particular context are you one of the actors that this particular set of rules applies to? One of the key things we're, we have found over the past two years with organizations, both from a consulting point of view, from a training point of view, but also from a data subject perspective, is organizations that use Control F to search the Irish Data Protection Act and wind up in the bit that is for law enforcement agencies, competent authorities, and they decide to rely on one of those sections for a thing when they're not a law enforcement body. Catherine, what's the technical term for doing that? Uh, there would be a few. <laughs> one would be incompetent. Yeah, the, the, the key issue here is that it can result in you. Well, if you're a data protection officer doing it, you have to you would have to ask yourself immediately, do you have the specialist knowledge and understanding of data protection law and practice in the Republic of Ireland. Because if you're using Control F to navigate the legislation and you're landing in part five of the Irish Data Protection Act 2018, and you are not the data protection officer for a law enforcement body or competent authority, like, for example, uh, the ISPCA, um, then back away from part five quickly because you're in the wrong area. And what will happen in that context is if there is a complaint made to the Data Protection Commission about your decision and you have relied on the wrong section of the Act to inform your decision, well, the DPC doesn't really have far to go in terms of making a decision against you. So, so context is important. Uh, and then that gets back to understanding what data is. Information is data in context. If, we don't, if you're not fully informed, you're going to have trouble making clear decisions. Exactly. So to bring it all back to data governance, it's about clarity around the decision rights, roles and responsibilities in relation to information related processes that defines who can do what with what information when under what circumstances. Shrems 2 has given us clarity on some of those decision roles, rights and responsibilities and the underlying tests that are to be applied in certain circumstances. And when we're navigating the Data Protection Act, it's important to understand who are we, what are we doing, and does this section of the Act actually apply to us? And if not, we need to go back and reaffirm our understanding and look elsewhere to justify the decisions that we're making. 
so that we're able to demonstrate appropriate organizational and technical controls and accountability. I think that's everything for today, Catherine. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about? I think we're um, running pretty long at this point, so it's good to, good to end now. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, well, we'll be back again next month with another episode of the podcast. Look forward to hearing from you all then. Remember to check out castlebridge.ie for all the latest podcasts, blog posts, and webinars from the Castlebridge team. Also, check out our events page for upcoming training courses. 